Is there anything you would have done differently? We reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity. Today, Andrew Cuomo is having a moment. Hi, I am Chris Steyerwalt. And I'm Eliana Johnson. Heck yeah, you are. Welcome to Ink Stained Wretches, where we break down what's going wrong and what's going right with the American news media. Eliana Johnson, you are preparing to do something that is, I, when I say that I would rather die than move, it's only slightly hyperbolic. It's mostly not. How is your emotional state of well-being as you contemplate having to move? Totally fine. Totally fine. You're totally chill. Fine. It's no problem. Um, yeah. Yeah. No problem. You're okay. Are you a fairly organized person or not a fairly organized person? Um, organized, but, you know, people to help with everything. That's, this Chris acts like I'm, you know, packing boxes and, like, carrying my bed out the door and into, I don't know. into the U-Haul. There's the famous story of the guy, place I worked, asked people to come move, and he had packed nothing in his home. Now, I don't know what you think the age is. Is that a famous story? Well, it's. I won't tell all the details. It was a pretty sordid scene when the helpers arrived, when we helpers arrived. But what is the age you think when a person can no longer ask their friends to help them move? That's like a they, really good question. Because... 27? So you, you think it starts with a two? Not yes, a th- so it definitely starts with a two. Starts with a two. I think there's there are some... There are some Late in, 20s. In, depending on socioeconomic and income factors here, I think certainly by the time you have a three as the first digit, you should be able to move without asking your friends to help. But uh, it gets it gets tough out there. I'm I'm approaching fours, so <laughs> so we're good. We're good. We have an uh, obvious. We don't even have an above the fold and a below the fold. We just have a front page. No, there's depth. There's nuance. Yes, but it's just one topic. There's met. You'll see. You'll see, America. It's it's deep and rich. It's a mulligatawny. Like we got to dive in and talk about Ron DeSantis. On our front page. His presidential launch, which had major media angles in that he he wanted to and kind of did an audio only launch on Twitter in a Twitter space, which I wasn't totally familiar with, which says a lot. I mean, maybe it's a reflection on me, but I don't really think it is that I didn't really know what a Twitter space was. Well, let's take a listen to what it sounded like when Ron DeSantis. Um, Yes, this is this. This was the launch. All right. Uh, Good afternoon, good evening, or good morning, everyone, depending on wherever in the world you're joining us from. I'm broadcasting live from David from Twitter headquarters. It's David Sachs here. Uh, Elon is sitting next to me, and we want and we want to welcome you to this historic Twitter Spaces event, and more broadly, a first in the history of social media. Okay, so suboptimal. We would describe we would describe that as a suboptimal way to get going. So, I I was skeptical, and I had 
a few people yesterday saying, I actually think this is really interesting. Two people cited to me the Harvard-Harris poll. Oh, my God. Terrible Harvard-Harris poll. That said Elon Musk is actually the most popular person in America. And Was this, this Mark really... Penn? Was it actually <laughs> no. Mark Penn who no. said this to you? No, but I had people saying that this is an interesting idea. So I think that the interesting part of the idea was – I'm going to give both sides, okay? okay? The interesting part of the idea was the attempt to – elbow Fox News out of, like, being the go-to spot. Right. And I and thought it was ta- interesting and, that DeSantis did last that. Last week we talked about DeSantis going on Newsmax and trashing Fox for firing Tucker Carlson. So this certainly is of a piece with that. And just as much as DeSantis relied on Fox to become the governor of Florida and win that primary against Adam Putnam, he's, there seems to be an intentional pivot away from Fox into the Republican primary, which is weird. And interesting— but it has to work, right. and it didn't. It didn't really work at all. However, there was another aspect to it that I think if he had gotten on, if if even after the audio stuff, the audio snafus, he'd gotten on Twitter Spaces and said something really interesting no. that might have overshadowed all of these right. snafus. He then did two different Fox News interviews, one with Trey Gowdy and one with Mark Levin on Fox News Radio, and it honestly just wasn't that interesting. There was nothing in his message, and no shot at Trump. Like, that's what everybody was watching and listening for. Are you going to take a shot at the big guy? That was able to overshadow the snafu. And, like, Elon Musk is a pretty controversial and interesting guy, and so you're kind of sitting on a stage with somebody who... Is more um, interesting and more famous and richer than you. And the other thing that struck me about it was the audio-only aspect. Like, visuals are an important part of all of this, and he deprived himself of that, of the chance to orchestrate that. So when you're announcing for president, and, look, this is all tangled up in DeSantis's anti-media media strategy and trying to circumvent the traditional modes and methods of press coverage. But the, when you do a presidential announcement, what you want to do is look like the president, right? The goal is that you cast yourself in such a way, very famously Reagan at the Statue of Liberty is a very famous one, or George Bush in 2000 standing in front of a tractor like in rolled up shirt sleeves. Uh, Tim Scott had a very successful presidential campaign kickoff in a town hall setting that looked like, oh, yeah, this is what it would look like if Tim Scott was the Republican nominee for president and he was doing a town hall. You could see him in the job. DeSantis does not seem presidential or does not seem like he is playing on an elevated stage. And I thought this was a missed opportunity for him to look bigger, to look grander, to look more presidential, to to use the worn out phrase. And the thing that keeps coming, and this is political, I understand this is political analysis, not media analysis that I'm offering right now, but he has trouble with picking good people is what it seems like. I always think that that's a reflection on the principle. Yeah. it's And so, you know, the use he's using, he's got a lot of the Ted Cruz team together. He's got the the chief architect of Ted Cruz's woof 2016 campaign. And that is, I, I don't understand that one. And then well, Elon, Elon Musk 
is interesting and famous and very rich, and there is no question about those things. But he's weird, and he is having trouble running Twitter. And I don't know why you would say, okay, this is a big day for me. This is an important moment. I'm going to put it in in the hands of this person who is trying to launch this platform. It just, I, I don't understand. Well, Jeff Rowe, who's running the DeSantis operation, or also, the Super PAC, yeah. Uh, the Super PAC, he also ran the Yunkin campaign. So I think that's the pro case. But he's also best known, I mean, the two big campaigns he's done are, are Yunkin and Cruz I mean, he has a successful record running House campaigns, and he has done all this other stuff. But the similarities between what's happening for what's happening for Ron DeSantis, who I did not know pronounced his name pronounces his name Ron DeSantis. This was in the Casey. Well, we're going to get to it, but this was in Politico's Casey DeSantis profile. They they claim that it was his wife who urged him to start pronouncing his last name "duh" instead of "d." So it's Ron DeSantis, not Ron DeSantis. Well, he it apparently it's DeSantis, and she is the one who urged him to begin pronouncing it "duh." DeSantis, like as in the Santis. Yes. Italian for the Santis. I, I, that's why, again, Meatball is a much better option, and he should lean, I've, I've, long, I've long held he should lean in on Meatball. The interesting thing from a media perspective for me is there is powerful resentment against Ron DeSantis's anti-media media strategy, right? It's really potent. And Tara Palmieri, writing for Puck, did a big thing about trying to chase DeSantis down and ask him questions. So she shouted questions after him. She tried to get him one-on-one. And she wrote a whole story about how hard it is to get Ron DeSantis to talk to the press. And she wrote this, Trump, for all of his lies and BS, she didn't say BS, is not afraid of the press. And that's likely why he's a stronger candidate, doubling DeSantis in some recent polls. It wasn't until Trump started engaging with the press again that his numbers actually went up. I don't think that that is true. That is not true. I do not think that that is true. I do not think. So Donald Trump's nimbleness with the press and ability to withstand. Basically, uh, and I know I've talked about this before, Donald Trump was a candidate that the press had wanted, always had wanted. Constant spectacle, endless personal, always a quote, always something interesting. And most of what people in my business had spent their careers doing was trying to extract, to squeeze out of candidates anything. Do you remember talking about Marco Rubio's iPod playlist? And and Obama's and everybody else's. Trying to just any detail, like tell us something about you. Oh, he listens to Pitbull. Pitbull. What? Oh, my gosh. And then it was the song that he, he announced his camp. He launched his campaign to. Yes. What, oh what did he launch his campaign to? The Pitbull song. Oh, it was a Pitbull yes. song? I'm pro-Pitbull. I want to go on the record right now as I am strongly. Uh, what's the line? I knew my rent was going to be late about a week ago. I worked my blank off and I still can't make it though. I could go on with more Pitbull lyrics right here and right now. But the all of the effort to extract anything from these candidates and Trump basically stepped out on stage nude, right? Was like anything you want all the time. It's always a story. I'm generating all of this content. And I certainly there are advantages. There have been great advantages for Trump in that. But I don't think that Trump's success or because Ron DeSantis is struggling to launch his campaign, 
He had a bad last phase of his pre-candidacy and obviously a very unfortunate day one of his official campaign. But, and there are certainly questions about his anti-press strategy, but have you ever seen like on social media, people will post a story that says, you know, shark attacks are actually dramatically less likely than, you know, falling down the stairs or whatever. And somebody will say, did a shark write this? And that's how pieces like this. About, I was going to say it, to- it captures the like navel gazing right. and self-involvement. Exactly. Do you know what Ron, local reporter, Colin, Ron DeSantis needs to spend more time sucking up to local reporters. Yeah. And there's truth in it. I'm not saying it's not true. But DeSantis would be, as he just demonstrated, in whatever setting would be awkward. Now he has an extra problem, which is the vendetta of the press against him. And by antagonizing for a long time, and now it's their turn to light him on fire and torch him, which, interestingly, may help him with the Republican. <laughs> may, Republican primary voters may determine if the piling on Ron DeSantis in the press goes on long enough that they like him better. There could be a Palin effect. Right. This is why I think his problem is the message. It's not... Yeah. The engagement with the press and, uh, you know, gl- that glad handing and all of that. It's he could have gotten over all of this stuff. But it is like, what are you saying on Fox News? What are you using the Twitter spaces to say? And there was there was nothing that was all that. Yeah. What interesting. It, if if I could if you ask me to sum up what DeSantis's message is, is to I've heard it said. Make, it's Trump can't win. Trump can't win and make Florida or make America Florida. And I mean. I'm I'm pro I like Florida. Florida's okay, but I don't I don't yet I don't yet see the uh, DeSantis strikes me as again cruise-like in the sense of it seems overthought and I think that that was definitely the case in the launch. Way overwrought, way overthought. Just get a flag, find a tractor or something, find a a place to have your announcement and do your announcement. The world will little note nor long remember. But what about Tim Scott? Oh, and by the way, I want to apologize for the headline on our... So I'm going to put a parental warning ahead of the following segment. I heard from an avid listener that the title on last week's episode that compared veganism to polyamory was 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 dubious for family consumption. So I want to apologize here and tell you now that we're going to talk about Tim Scott and ladies. So be prepared. I have a counterintuitive take on this, so why don't you give, give, give your take? Tell, say the I'm wrong thing, my, and then yes. you'll give the right thing. No, no, <laughs> yeah, but give your take, which which I totally understand, and then I, I'm going to give my counterintuitive take. My take is that the rotten political press obsessing over Tim Scott's sex life is disgusting. It is beneath. Look, if Tim Scott were saying. Look at my great family. Well, let's meet the family. Let's talk about the family. Let's whatever. But Tim Scott's not talking about that. That's not part of his message. And the scrutiny on this, and I want to quote the great Caitlin Flanagan, who said this, sent to me by a pony, who said, nothing to see here, just NBC News needling Tim Scott about being a, quote, bachelor and asking if there's, quote, time for a woman in your life. These people have no principles, and it's only just begun. And the pressure on Scott around this issue, I'm not saying it's not reasonable to ask Tim Scott 
this one time. And we can go back to the question that Tim Scott was asked about, has been asked about this many times in the past. He famously told the Washington Post, Ben Terrace, how long ago? Years ago, 2012, uh, uh, when Ben Terrace asked him if he was a virgin. <laughs> and he said, I'm not discussing my sex life with Ben Terrace. I don't ben remember Terrace. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was a decade ago that Tim Scott has said, I'm not, I'm not talking, I'm not doing that. And so here's the question from Tom Yamas, Lamas? The Y pronunciation? Yamas. It would be cooler if it was Tom, Yamas. Or maybe it's La- I don't know. You know, this is funny because my daughter has these books. I'm sure a bunch of parents Lama, will be Lama, like, yes, yes. No, <laughs> but like a bunch of them. No and I never bi- know. Is it Lama or Yama? Yama. The uh, Lama Lama <laughs> red pajama or is it Yama Yama red pyjama? Hard, yes, hard uh, choices. Hard choices. No, my favorite, of course, is no more baby llama drama was one line from one of the Llama Llama Red Pajama books. But here's Tom. They're so cute. I'm going to pronounce it like Lorenzo and say Tom Lamas. Okay. Actually, let's look it up. There's a question America would love for you to answer, he says to Tim Scott. If you become president, you'd be like Grover Cleveland and James Buchanan. First of all, Grover Cleveland was a baller and fat Yamas. as a house. Yamas. Okay. Was Grover Cleveland was a baller, fat as a house, and liked pickled like like to eat pickled herring. Be like Grover Cleveland and James Buchanan. You would you'd go as a bachelor as a single man. Is there someone in your life? Is there time for a woman in your life right now? Tim Scott, oh, there's always there's always time for a great relationship with a wonderful woman, and I thank God that that is happening, but so I'll leave it there. If you don't put it forward, you don't have to talk about it. And a political press, this is how you get Trump. This is one of the many ways that add up to getting Trump, which is, but really, tell us about whether or not you're a virgin, but really tell us about this stuff. Let the let like he's allowed to have his life. He's allowed to be a person alive in the world. And if he doesn't want to make his personal life part of his public persona, you can leave it that way. All right. I think there's a lot of merit to that view. I'm also sympathetic to if you if you're running for president, you are opening yourself up to you're you're ceding a lot of privacy. Totally. And, you know, people are curious, like we want to know. What's going on? Do you have a girlfriend? Do you have a family? Like what? Totally. You know, so I I am I am sympathetic and I think people are naturally curious and naturally at, at, like people don't want to say it, but naturally a little bit suspicious of like what's going on? You're 60 and single? Like were you married? He's 60? He's 57. He's 57. Yeah, no, he looks great. He looks great. That man is 57 yeah. years old. Holy crocano. I, I think there's like I think there's a natural curiosity he that people want to know what's happening and that that's okay. And by contrast, like when there is a Barack Obama type or a Ron DeSantis and a Casey DeSantis with their three beautiful children or, the you know, the Obamas with their, their young daughters, we buy into that. And so, okay, it is a like – you're saying Tim Scott's not putting it on offer, but it is a disadvantage for him not to have that. Like it is a real asset for these people. And we sort of it's part it's part of their political profile is the family. In some cases, it's an asset because you have a family that vouches for in Donald Trump's case, his beautiful wife and his children, especially his eldest daughter, 
were an important part of how he ran for the Republican nomination, which is to say, yes, I've had a chaotic personal life, and yes, all of this stuff has happened, but look at the look at these beautiful people, these beautiful women. They they love me. They stand with me. They vouch for me, and that was an, an, a tremendous asset. Just as with George Bush being able to point to his wife, the former librarian, yes, and say. Things may have been wild back in the day. Stuff stuff may have happened, but this solid citizen, this good woman, vouches for me. So it can be a great asset. Or, in Bill Clinton's case, it can be a terrible liability, right? It can be a huge problem. If you have a problematic spouse, it can be problematic. Nancy Reagan helped Ronald Reagan be a better governor and a better president, I'm sure, and in some ways a worse president, once it got personal and rough and ugly there for a period of time. But she was not, she did not warm up the audience. The audience did not say, hey, I like this Nancy Reagan. I don't know whether it's her thinness or her designer couture that I like most. So there are pluses and minuses, right? It works in both ways. My point is, at some point, yes, Tim Scott has to sit down and tell a story, right? He's going to have to tell a story to somebody in the right setting. He's going to have to find the right interview. He's going to have to, I don't know whether it's Oprah or whomever, but he's going to have to sit down and tell a story about how you get to, is that right, 56? 57. 57 daggone years old. How he got to be 57 years old and was not engaged and was not divorced, not whatever. So he has a story that he needs to tell at some point. My point is that that's not a... Hey, you just announced for president. Any time for El Sexo out there? You, any ladies out there? There is a difference, but there, there's a happy medium. There's somewhere in the middle to, to talk about these things. Mm-hmm. All right. The debt ceiling. Pro, the just, debt ceiling. I want my takeaway on this to be Grover Cleveland did not have a wife when he entered the White House and, in fact, had been accused of fathering an illegitimate child in, in Buffalo and got married to a beautiful woman while he was in the White House, and she became a beloved national figure. So that's all I'm saying. This is a, your, your pro-Grover Cle- your Grover Cleveland rehabilitation, reputation rehabilitation moment with Chris Steyerwald. Take us to the debt ceiling. That's, I think that's what Congress is doing. Oh, oh hey oh. See, this, we're moving closer to my goal of turning this into a drive-time morning radio zoo talk show. But the coverage of the debt ceiling. So there is a little projection. This is what Washington Post writes today. As of this recording, there is not a deal in place. Washington Post says House Democratic lawmakers are voicing frustration over President Biden's approach to negotiating a debt ceiling. Deal with Republicans worrying that their priorities are not being championed aggressively enough and that Biden hasn't more forcefully pushed back publicly against Republican demands. In a previously unreported interaction, Representative Sheila Jackson Lee, who has served in the House for almost 30 years, encouraged Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries during Democrats' weekly caucus meeting Tuesday to ask the president to immediately address the nation, detailing how Republicans are toying with the economy and explaining that a default would catastrophically affect their lives. First media tip. If you are treating Sheila Jackson Lee as a serious person who is regarded with esteem by the administration or her colleagues in the House Democratic Conference, you are if if your first go to voice is Sheila Jackson Lee, that's a no. But there's a little projection going on here. 
the coverage, Biden's mishandling of this negotiation. and So there's the real negotiation, there's a public negotiation, which are two different things. And the Democrats, Biden won a lot of plaudits from the media and from Democrats in Congress for, I'm not going to negotiate. We're not negotiating. We are not negotiating. We are not negotiating. And then once Republicans passed anything through the House, which clearly Biden did not think that they would be able to do, once that happened, the we will not negotiate became inoperable. That was not a you cannot say we're not going to negotiate when there's a bill passed out of the House because now it's over to you, United States Senate, and the Senate can't pass anything. So Biden wasted, I don't know, a week, two weeks of we were like, OK, you're not negotiating, but what are what are you doing? So the press gave Biden plaudits for being tough and not negotiating, not understanding that the situation had materially changed. Harumph. OK. That's that's what you get about the debt ceiling. Should we move on to our you know Fox Grover news? Cleveland in the yeah. debt ceiling? <laughs> Should we move on to our our Fox News bouquet? Bring it on. Okay, bring it on. Who knew? Oh, this that per the Heritage Foundation's Daily Signal, Fox News was in reality a woke corporation. And this is uh, Chris was Chris was so exercised about this report. It's very upset. I'm very upset. Who knew? Now, this is more in the Ron DeSantis. This is more in the Ron D space. So this is uh, the Heritage Foundation comes out with this blistering uh, article. Fox News employees are allowed to use bathrooms that align with their gender identity rather than their biological sex. Do you think there are a lot of transgender employees and at, permitted at Fox News? to dress in alignment with their preferred gender? Can you imagine that Fox News does not tell people that they have to check their genitalia before determining <laughs> yeah. whether the attire that they're wearing is that a men's T-shirt or a women's um, T-shirt? That scoop neck's pretty scooped there, sir. You had better find a tighter crew neck before you put that on. They must also be addressed by their preferred name and pronouns in the workplace. I just, I mean. How dare you? And so a source who still works at Fox told the Daily Signal, which is the Heritage Foundation's thing, that after Carlson's show was canceled in April, producers for the new 8 p.m. Fox News Tonight program were told not to bash Mulvaney, the Bud Light, uh, the whole thing. The transgender activist who was featured in the Bud Light commercial. That directive came from high-level executives, the source says. Or perhaps the person was told, ah, this story's played out. We're not going to do it anymore. This, this, the desire to move, I have news for Ron DeSantis. I have news for the Heritage Foundation. I have news for others. The desire to move on from Fox News. Don't be so, don't be so hasty. Do not be so hasty. And obviously what uh, the, the idea that News Corp, a multinational, multi-billion dollar enterprise, has an HR department. And the HR department does 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 not require people to show their birth certificates to match to their like. <laughs> please wear a simple smocked dress before you come in. We're going to check everything out. So that 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 is this this is a oh oh I love this. This is excellent. The Daily News piece. I had no. I had not seen this last part. He says te- Carlson's team also fought to be able to host the Daily Wire's Matt Walsh. On trans issues, the producer said, but the team was repeatedly met with resistance from Fox due to this, due to Walsh's frank condemnation of transgender ideology. 
This may have been due in part to Fox's view of the Daily Wire as a competitor, the former producer suggested. Sure, that's probably it. That's probably it, that they're afraid of you, and that's why they wouldn't let you come. That's why you were trying to get on their show, is that they're super afraid of you, and that's probably what happened. Well. It's their pro-trans stance. I do believe that they would have not wanted Matt Walsh on Fox because they view the Daily Wire as a competitor. Eh, I mean, to some degree. I would also imagine that they, whatever, I don't know what they're doing in that hour, and they still don't know what they're doing in that hour, but I'm also open to the possibility that whoever was hosting or however they were doing the show didn't want to talk about trans issues as much as Tucker Carlson wanted to talk about trans issues. Okay. In other news related to the wokeness of Fox News, they issued a correction. That's weak. Who's out there correcting their journalism, (laughs) surrendering to the woke mob? No, I kid. This is Mediaite headline Fox News show outnumbered, or as I like to call it, out hashtag. Finally issues brief correction to, quote, migrants booting veterans story. And the story, which first was first reported by the New York Post, said falsely that a group of homeless veterans were evicted from upstate New York. Hostels? hotels to make room for migrants bust up from the U.S.-Mexico border, Title 42, blah, 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 blah. Outnumbered's correction referred to upstate hotels in Orange and Rockland counties, assuming that national viewing audience knew that upstate New York referred to, that upstate referred to New York. Further, the correction made no mention of the migrants who supposedly replaced the homeless veterans. Also, without giving much context to correction, viewers will have to figure out what story Outnumbered was referring to. So I'd say this with love, Mediaite. I think the high standards to which you are trying to hold Emily Campagno and the outnumbered team for what kind of correction that they were going to offer on this story may be a little a little too lofty. Number one, number two, what the heck happened with this story? Do you know the Do you know the story of this story about no these idea. migrants? Okay, as near as I can tell, Eric Adams has said that he wants a inquest into how this story and it apparently was fabricated. I am not sure. In- Laura Ingram also apparently did it, and she and she issued a correction as well. And oh, there was a third correction. So it wasn't just out hashtag. There were three corrections that Fox issued, or three cleanups that Fox issued on this. So there you have it. Okay, Chris. Up next, we talked last week about the new site, The Messenger, the yep. Jimmy Finkelstein site that was built that was billed as a cross between the Washington Post and the New York Post. And I was sort of excited about it because I thought we could use a gossipy rag in D.C. And it it does seem to be kind of like a a traffic producing engine. Click. You uh, mean a link a, generating a engine yeah. with like a few scoops here and there. So the New York Times has a, a big piece on this tensions flare inside the messenger, a fledgling news site. <laughs> and. It, they've had a couple of senior editors resign, and the Times writes, After a back and forth between Mr. Zimmerman and a politics editor, Greg Birnbaum, in which Mr. Zimmerman at one point wrote that it was quite simple to open a dock and check, and, another, and at another point blamed the politics team for mixed signals, Mr. Birnbaum said he had had enough. So the two editors were at each other's throats. Because the story got replicated. Birnbaum had done a story, and then somebody else somewhere did the same story, and it was duplicative. So Birnbaum quit on the spot and advised Mr. Zimmerman to find another politics editor who, quote, doesn't know what they're doing, so you can tell them what to do. Blamo. And Greg Birnbaum is a pro. 
right? He worked at the New York Post. He's worked a bunch of places. And and subsequently, I saw a story. There's another editor that who has quit there. They have spent an enormous amount of money. They have hired a lot of people. But I, I got to I got to tell you. This is very like 2005 thinking, this kind of like just churning out links, trolling to try to get something to go viral. That is that's not that is not where things are at. And it's also another thing. People don't get into this business to be boring. Right. We get I I know for me, I don't know about for you. The appeal of journalism was that it was interesting, that it was outside of the normal contours of staid society, get to be a little bit of the skunk at the garden party. And, you know, you can't hire people who have practiced journalism at a high level and people who are good journalists and then expect them to be click clickbait farmers and be happy with it. It's a frustrating position to be put into. I yes. Think. Yes. Here, here. Chris, we got to get to your favorite topic. <laughs> It's my least favorite topic. It's racial disparities in X. Racial disparities in X, and I'm sorry to keep coming back to it. In this case, asthma. Yeah, this is an Associated Press report launched with much fanfare and that this was important journalistic work on matters of race. Black children are more likely to have asthma than kids of any other race in America, says the Associated Press. They're more likely they're more likely to live near polluting plants and in rental housing with mold and other triggers because of, get it, racist housing laws in the nation's past. Their asthma often is more severe and less likely to be controlled because of poor medical care and mistrust of doctors. Now, look, I am not saying, I'm not discounting the component in which redlining, the legacy of Jim Crow, lots of stuff that has played in poor housing options for black Americans. And I'm sure that there are vestiges of that that carry down to this day. But what are we talking about? We're not talking about race. It's the same thing I have to say every week. We're not talking about race. We're talking about poverty. Poverty, have you ever heard the, the axiom, wealthier is healthier? You want to find the healthiest nations in the world? Find the richest nations in the world. You want to find the healthiest counties in the United States? Find the richest counties in the United States. And it is very, it is the human condition and a sad one that people who are poor have worse outcomes than people who are rich. So poverty and race by ethnicity, this is Kaiser Family Foundation. I assume that these are census numbers, but here's what it says. Overall, the poverty rate in the United States, 12.8%. For white Americans, it's 9.5%. For black Americans, it's 21.7%. Now, we could have a discussion about why black people are so much poorer than white people and the degree to which racism has played a role in that institutional racism, these things, happy to entertain why the black poverty rate is so much higher, more than twice as high as the white poverty rate. It is not as high as the poverty rate for American Indians, which is 25.9%. And I bet Associated Press, if you did a story about asthma rates in Native American communities, you'd find that they were a lot higher too. Race, I'm not saying race is not a component in why poverty rates in these groups is substantially higher, but it's the poverty that's making the kids sick. It's not racism. It's not that that white people are say, ah, well, make sure the black kids get asthma. What's happening is poverty makes people sick. 
And this happens for the nine point. I bet if you looked at the nine point five percent of white Americans who are impoverished, you would find much higher asthma rates in them too. This is divisive. This is the wrong way to talk about these issues, and it invites people. It, it infantilizes minority groups, and it fails to recognize how the answer to many of these questions is better income, healthier communities, and that's what works. Not pandering, paternalistic race-obsessed media coverage. Chris. Harumph, harumph, harumph. Chris, we're almost at the style section. But first, but don't first, you want to talk about have, baseball yeah. coverage? Don't you want to talk first, about the intersection of race and baseball coverage, An Eliana? NBC News reporter axed. Glenn Kuyper, Oakland A's broadcaster. I, I must say, not familiar. So the sad story of the Oakland A's, have you ever seen the movie Major League? Yes. Okay, Major League. You've seen, you gentlemen. You've never seen Major League? Jeez. He's like 15. Yeah. Well, he's seen the Mona Lisa. Yeah. Major League, Charlie Sheen at his finest. The ragtag Cleveland Indians. The Oh, Ted Lasso stole its premise from Major League, which is the woman who owns the team. And I forget whether her husband died and she inherited it or she got it in the divorce, whatever the case. She's got the team and she wants to tank the team so that she can move it to Arizona or Florida. I forget what she wants to do. But she's the villain. And she tries to put the worst possible team together. And guess what happens? It turns out they're the best. It turns out they're fantastic. Well, the Oakland A's story is, is just like that, except for the fact that they do indeed stink. And as the Oakland A's leave Oakland and their fans behind. Where are they going? Las Vegas. And so speaking of the Oakland A's and Las Vegas. So anyway, the Oakland A's are getting yanked out, going to Las Vegas. And on the way out, it's been important to the ownership to make everything as terrible as possible. I don't know if you remember, we talked here about the story about the possum that was spotted in the NBC broadcast booth at Oakland A's Stadium. So they wrecked the franchise and are now and are now moving it. So one of the guys who was part of the broadcast team, okay. Glenn Kuyper, in a May 5th broadcast during which he used, quote, the N-word while recounting a pre-show trip to the Negro League's baseball museum in Kansas City. So here is the story. This guy, trying to be racially cool, goes to the Negro League's baseball museum, okay. spends the afternoon there in immersing himself in the story of the of the of Satchel Page and the yeah, greats yeah. of all of this stuff, and then recounting that on the pre-show broadcast, slipped and said not Negro, and he got fired for it. He got fired for it over the objections of the people at the Negro Leagues Museum. He got fired for for it over the objections of black players on. The Oakland days. He got fired for it over all of those objections. And NBC Sports still said, eh, you're out. We got to get rid of this guy who had been with them for decades. He had spent like 20 years doing this and they fired him for this. And the lesson here is don't try to do a good thing. And your intentions don't matter. What you should do is just avoid all of this at all costs. And the and the lesson to broadcasters who don't try to do a good thing, because if you do and you make a mistake, you'll get fired too. And I'm going to guess that it was not coincidental that moving that as the team was moving and wrapping up their season, dumping probably a relatively high-salaried individual 
in the organization as they relaunch as the Las Vegas dirtbags or whatever the as as the Las Vegas buffet all stars or whatever their new name is going to be there is that he was a good one to lose. And I think that's I think that's pretty I think that's pretty shoddy. Yeah. But anyway, style section. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. For sports and race, give way um, to style. Because when I, I, I saw this article that you sent across, first of all, I love the New York Times Magazine. It says, the therapy issue. And this Ugh. article, I am a couples therapist. Something new is happening in relationships. What is it? Well, first of all, this woman who's pictured in the New York Times Magazine, she's like sitting in a chair with her shoes off. Very um, stylish, though. Yes, Black silk pants, um, yes. She has a show on Showtime, oh, no. which is just watching her do therapy with all these couples. Is this kind of fascinating? Orna Orna Goralnik, I think. Orna Goralnik. Yeah. So pajamas. The show is pretty interesting. It's a little depressing because you think I think yeah. <laughs> I will say I love this podcast by Esther Perel. Okay. Where you listen in on a single session of oh you've talked about therapy. that yeah, yeah, yes yeah, yeah. so that's less depressing because you don't know what happens to the people hers it's like you cycle through the couples and you can see that like some of these people are not on a very uplifting trajectory i want to say as an ethnic presbyterian my soul climbs up inside of my body and retracts into my spinal cord at the thought of listening to other people talk oh about Oh my gosh, as a Jew, a mind like jumps for joy and <laughs> yeah. it's amazing and I think Orna is Jewish like for sure I'm getting those vibes from her. Well, um, here's the lead. And so I read this and I then was like why do I like this show because this sound read like listen, a bunch of gobbledygook Listen for me, to, to the me. lead. My parent, my pa- my patients, regardless of political affiliation, are incorporating the messages of social movements into the very structure of their being. New words make new thoughts and feelings possible. As a collective, oh, we appear to be coming around to the idea that bigger social social forces run through us, animating us and pitting us against one another, whatever our conscious intentions. To invert a truism, the political is personal. The expanding lexicon around bias and privilege includes terms like white fragility or white tears, referring to white people's defensive refusal to fully engage with accountability. Other phrases like virtue signaling, being a Karen or performative. When do we get to the permission structures? Performative allyship underline the difference between honest and fake engagement with questions of morality and responsibility. No, this is the one that the one that the, the paragraph that made me this is where it's at. That wasn't the lead. Strike all of that. Here's the lead. One afternoon in 2020, early in the pandemic, I met Sylviolet, and this is spelled S-Y-L apostrophe Violet. I met Sylviolet and Matthew for a virtual session, young, idealistic, deeply in love. They were also prone to dramatic fights. In this session, Sylviolet, a vivacious essayist and spoken word poet, was trying to describe the ways she felt Matthew... A measured medical student was trying to control her, in this case by trying to dissuade her from buying a slushie. He thought they should keep to a tight budget until after he became a doctor and achieved financial stability. Then she could have all of the slushies you want later. So Violet found his reasoning maddening, especially since he seemed to imply she was reckless. 
On the face of it, the fight seemed insignificant. But then an exchange took place that changed the tenor of the argument, connecting us to the underlying roots of the issue. I have trouble envisioning the finish line, so Violet exclaimed, tearing up, because the plan that he's talking about, my life has always been the plan never works. You can do all the right things and obey all the right rules and get blanked. For a moment, Matthew continued to try to reason with her and convince her of his sound financial strategy. I know that sounds very conceited, cocky, he said, to which Silviolet whipped back, no, it sounds privileged. And look, I get it. I understand. Don't you think it would have been fun to watch this on television? Oh, my gosh. No, I would have I would have flung myself out of a window I, rather than I would be have present. liked to watch this on television. Listening to people argue with each other is among my very least favorite things in the world. And listening and and the point that Goralnik is making here is that the social justice lexicon yes. has made its way into her therapy room and it's a good thing. And that it's a good thing that the personal is now political. And I want to tell you, Dr. Goralnik, you're wrong. You are profoundly, profoundly wrong. And that what you are hearing are people grab the nearest weapon at hand in the popular culture. This is not new. This is not new. I'm sure during Est in the 70s, I'm sure during at all points of whatever social fads and trends were out there, people brought that language into the room. But each relationship is its own organism. I don't know whether Matthew is controlling. I don't know whether he should have let her have the slushy. I don't know <laughs> whether he's privileged. I have no idea about the particulars of this case. And I know that many men are controlling. And I know that all of this is true. But making the personal political is not a good thing, Doc. This is not a good thing. All right. I want everyone to get ready because it's almost June and you know what that means. It's corporate pride month. It's time for the brands oh, We're of never going to top Burger King. Oh, what was Burger pride King? Pride Whopper. The Pride Whopper. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, get ready because when we talk to you next, we'll have a catalog of the ways in which brands and media outlets share their enthusiasm for same-sex relationships. And I, I just wanted to share this from The Onion. I love you, Onion. The Onion, J.K. Rowling announces she no longer transphobic after attending Cincinnati Pride and winning a, C a free cell phone charger from a bisexual realtor's booth. <laughs> so get ready. There, there's your foretaste, America. Next week's Wretches will feature your, your next installment. Are we June already? Wow. Okay. It's happening. Okay. Well, we're, it is also time, before we get to June, for our obsessions mm -hmm. of the week. where we break down the stories we can't get out of our heads. Chris, this one was like right down the middle of the plate for me. Mm -hmm. It was Politico's piece on Casey DeSantis. A deeply sourced, well-researched Casey DeSantis a piece. a total <laughs> smear job. And I went on a rant about this on Megyn Kelly's show earlier oh, you this did. week. And lit it up, but I wanted to bring it to our listeners too. All right. The headline is the Casey DeSantis problem, quote, his greatest asset and his greatest liability. Ron DeSantis's wife is going to play a very prominent role in his presidential campaign. Some of his supporters wonder if that's an entirely good thing. And I'm going to quote from the article now. And I just I want listeners to think about whether, you know, whether a Democratic spouse, a powerful woman who 
plays a big role in her husband's career would be written about this way without the reporter adding context that these tropes are sexist. Yeah. Okay. Or so, including this quote from Roger right. freaking okay. Stone. Okay. So for nearly as long, too, though, others who have worked with her, and this is Casey DeSantis, or around her, have nodded more quietly to the downsides of the starring part that she plays. She is and always has been by far his most important advisor. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. They say because she is hesitant to cede that space to nearly anybody else. Okay? She's a boss bee. And... We can't be having that if she's, you know, a Republican. The DeSantis inner circle is too small and remains so, they say, not only because he constitutionally doesn't trust people, but because she doesn't either. Especially forthright are the people who are granted anonymity on account of their fear of retribution, given their power, not just his, but hers. Oh, come on. So that is bad. Her power is bad. She's the power behind the throne, a Republican lobbyist told me. The tip of the spear, said a Republican consultant. Especially forthright are people who we granted anonymity. Anonymity to slime her. And then... (laughs) They were super forthright. This is what's said about a married couple. It's always been a them said a person who's known them since before his first run for Congress, one of many people who will speak candidly only when granted anonymity because of the power of a governor who might be a president and also that of his wife and what they perceive to be their collective capacity for spite. And then Roger Stone, who is a Donald Trump ally, said, told the reporter that Casey DeSantis is akin to Lady Macbeth. And this is not two years after Politico did a piece called The Return of the Lady Macbeth Trope. Is that right? Yes. Nice. And the picture that accompanied the article, which we will link, had, you know, like a Shakespearean collar around Hillary Clinton, Giselle Fetterman, and one other Democratic spouse. And the entire article was about how this is a sexist trope. So they are basically allowing... Ron DeSantis's primary rivals and their allies to smear Ron DeSantis's wife without contextualizing this as, you know, his rivals are taking aim at his wife by saying these things and using these sexist smears. And like, actually, she's pretty smart and capable and they're obviously threatened by her. Like, they've got to take her down, and these are the things that they're doing to do it. She may be horrible. Right. Nonetheless, like, they're still taking aim at her. You know who doesn't have a wife? <laughs> Tim Scott. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no Lady Macbeth for Tim Scott. Just We're going to link that, the other political piece, so you, can, so you can compare. My obsession is around an interesting new bit of research on what what scientists, what data scientists found about how people consume news and the confirmation, the, the, it, it is a, it quantifies the rabbit hole of news and how you go after more of what you like. And we will link to the study and we'll link to the, and we will link to the tweet thread where the data scientist lays out what it is. And related to that is this piece in the Hill, Am I Gay? <laughs> Related Google searches soar 13,000% in 19 years. 
colon analysis. Thanks, analysis. And the Cultural Currents Institute released an analysis that explored Google searches from 2004 to this month and included searches for questions such as, am I gay, am I lesbian, am I trans, and how to come out, as well as searches for non-binary, which is a word that, by the way, prior to 2004, I don't think anyone had heard of. The new analysis found searches for these phrases jumped by more than 13,000% during the period. It's an unanchored statistic. Maybe tell us what the number was to to another. But the, the point being... If you are not a good news consumer, if you are you if you are going about your business on the internet not understanding what the internet is wants you to do, what the internet wants you to do is the same thing television wants you to do. They want you to stay, right? They want you to stay. So what are they going to try to give you? The same thing television tries to give you. More of what you like, right? Just tell us what you like and we will give you more of it. And you can follow the hole all the way down. You can keep it it will it will draw you deeper in. And obviously, if you're online with questions about your sexual identity, it's going to offer you more of that. It's going to offer you more to go down that path. And on the news front, and this is one of the problems for our industry, is it is incumbent on us as journalists to offer people different views of the world and see things in different ways. And I wrote about that this week talking about, and we're going to have John Ward on the podcast in the coming weeks talking about his book, Testimony. And I talked about this in the context of the death of Tim Keller last week with the the idea that Christians are called to be in the world, but not of it. Journalists are called to be the same thing, in the world, but not of it, to have a certain amount of remove and what we're hopefully able to offer our readers, listeners, and viewers is different points of view, that we can bring different points of view to them. But the click model says give people exactly what they want, more of the same thing, and let them follow the tunnel down. And I will just say that this research points to how how potent and how powerful that is and how that leads people to not know their neighbors and not know what's going on in the country. So good. So I'll just be super corny and say, Food for thought. Food for thought. All right. It is now time for my favorite mm-hmm. portion of the week, mm-hmm. which is reader mail. And we have an awesome letter from Rebecca in Annapolis, Maryland. And she, Hi, Rebecca. She's writing about the Politico magazine piece about Casey uh. DeSantis. So she writes, from Michael Cruz's Politico mag hit piece on Casey DeSantis, which I suspect was ghostwritten by Susie Wiles, and she's referring to the Trump ally, Susie Wiles. She says, quote, especially forthright are the people who are granted am- oh, anonymity yeah. on account of their fear of retribution given their power, oh, not just Rebecca. his, but hers. Smart. Which we just read from the piece. And she's, she says, you don't say. People who are given anonymity love to spill the tea. Remarkable analysis. Amateur tip. Giving anonymity based on fear of ret- fear of retribution turned your magazine profile into a gossip column. Say word. Love the pod, C&E. Keep up the great work. And then she writes. This is, the real, this is really why you like this letter. Yes, yes. Then she writes, was super excited to try tan looks, but. And what's tan looks? Tan looks is self-tanning drops. Okay. But it's no, it's a no for pasty white people who don't wish to resemble a certain former president. I consider myself pasty white. You are not so, pasty white. Well, it's because I use tan looks. Oh, okay. Recommended <laughs> alternative, Elta MD tinted sunscreen. 
screen. Okay, I'm going to have to try that. She says beige undertones plus sun damage protection for the win. I do love a tinted sunscreen and normally use that as my day-to-day, so I'm going to have to try that. Rebecca is the yes. is the, this is the you, perfect Rebecca. letter. You hit all of, you gave Eliana, yes. you gave some fashion and lifestyle. That. You yes. taught you you were on the same page on that political profile. Um, you two should get together and get lattes. Yeah, I'm going to have to try that that sunscreen and that brings us to Chris's favorite time of the week. When I am forced to say something nice, but Chris, you lead you lead us by example. I just want to share with you this funny Instagram video from Emmer Pope is the name of the user, and the title is Catching Up on the News. Good morning, Los Angeles. Hope you all are enjoying the sunshine on this Monday, especially because it may be some of our last. Studies conclude that greenhouse gases are pushing the sun farther and farther away from Earth, so say goodbye to bathing suits and fruit. In other news, smallpox is back, but now it's big. And the latest space experiment gone wrong. It seems the spaceship has turned around and is headed back towards us like a missile. Every pediatric nurse in the world was stabbed over the weekend. <laughs> so anyway, good one. That's funny. You'll find it. And when you subscribe to High Retros, the link will be there, too. All right, Chris, my favorite item of the week, which was hilarious. That mm-hmm. was this Washington Post article. Think you can land a plane? We put average people to the test. And the Post writes, in March, we published an article about surveys that showed many Americans think they could land a plane if they had to step in for a commercial pilot. And this was funny because we were talking about this before the show. And I said to the three guys sitting in this room with me, who the heck thinks they could land a plane? I would never think that. And all three of these guys said they thought they could. I could do it. I could probably do it. The Post says... Pilots and aviation experts were less sanguine, though they didn't outright dismiss the idea. Based on our simulator experiment, no inexperienced traveler should ever volunteer to land a plane well, in an emergency. Well, I mean, you know. Even with a prodigious amount of guidance, our recruits still cratered. However, if there are no other options, remember these invaluable lessons. Never disengage the autopilot, i.e. don't move the side stick or press the red button. Yeah, I I don't think I'd go in there pressing red buttons. Put on the headsets and hold the switch when you speak and take five seconds to sip your proverbial tea. I could do it. I feel that I, and you know why I would do it? I That thing would crash, so. Because I wouldn't do anything. I would go in there and hope that the plane basically could land itself and then take credit for it afterward. I would say, yeah, it was me. But you've seen Airplane, right? I don't think so. Oh my gosh, what Philistines. Nate, have you seen Airplane? Jeez Louise. Colin, thank God for you, Colin, that somebody can understand all of my dated cultural references. But Airplane is a great movie. Leslie Nielsen is in Oh, it. I've seen that. Okay, yes. And that. so the autopilot that inflates. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I could totally lay the plane. Okay. It would be fine. A hospital. What is it? It's a place where they take sick people, but that's not important right now. Because that is all the time we have for the news about the news. If you have a story that you want us to talk about or a tinted sunscreen that you want us to try, <laughs> email us at wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com and sign up for our newsletter at nebulouspodcasts.com. This has been Ink Stained Wretches from Nebulous Media, produced by Colin Chicola. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Wretches. <laughs>